Well, today our scripture reading is in Matthew chapter 6, and um, I've kind of put pieces together there, so it'll probably be easy for me just to read the overhead. So stand with me as we read from God's Word on this subject of, do I really have to forgive? Come on now. All right. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. This, then, is how you should pray. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You may be seated. This is the second of four messages on love, and uh, February is going to be devoted to love, you know, so I have two more messages coming up, and and I'm not going to tell you what they're about. You'll just have to come and see what kind of love that that, um, it's all about. But today it's about the love that includes forgiving others. And uh, last week it was on the love that God had for us, His love in forgiving us. Now it's on our love in forgiving others. And you know, the Lord will never ask you to do what he does not do himself. Isn't that interesting? He does not ask us to go beyond him, but he does it himself. And God is the example. And uh, another thing that I have been noticing as I have been reading through this daily Bible study program, as you're reading through all this history and all these names and all these tribes and everything, there's been some things that's been surfacing as I have been reading through. And that is... I didn't know how messed up some of these people were in the Old Testament. And I'm talking about the patriarchs, you know, the good people. I didn't realize they were so flawed. And, uh, you know, for instance, we think of Abraham, and the Jews always think of Abraham, Father Abraham. But Abraham had his moments, didn't he? He gave his wife up, you know, do stuff with her, uh, you know, um, Abraham had some other moments. He, he, was, he, he got impatient with the Lord when the Lord promised they would have a child and he tried to do things in another way. You know, Abraham was flawed, but God forgave him, didn't he? You move on to Isaac, and Isaac was that father who played favorite with his sons. I favor Esau, you know. Uh, there's some other things about Isaac we could come up with, but Isaac, regardless of this flaw, God forgave him. I think of Jacob, who was really kind of the colorful one, you know. He started off early in life, and he, he uh, sold his brother some soup for a birthright and, you know, deceived him. He, he went in later and lied to his father, pretended to be Esau. And, um, you know, throughout Jacob's life, some other things come along, and he becomes a father, and he has several sons, and he has his favorites, You know, here is a flawed man and yet a forgiven man. Then I read about the 12 sons of Jacob. There were some colorful dudes in there, weren't there? There were a couple of guys, in fact, if they were living in our day, what they had done, they would be in prison now. I mean, we're talking about really bad stuff. And yet I find it interesting that as... God would name the Israelite people. He used those very men, Reuben and Judah, as one of the tribes of Israel. They are still a name. 
God forgives. But here's the one that really gets to me. Well, first of all, let me mention the people of Israel. They come out of Egypt, and uh, God brings before them the Ten Commandments. Remember that? And they vow to God, they say, we will be your people. We will serve you. We will not turn aside. Okay, they go through this whole thing. Moses goes up in the mountain. In less than a month, they have totally went away from God. In less than a month. They grumble, they complain repeatedly over and over. And God forgives them. But here's the one that really kind of gets to me, and that's Aaron. Aaron was... You know, he was Moses' brother. And uh, let's get a picture of Aaron up there. That's, that's Aaron. As I'm reading through this Old Testament reading, there's all this instruction on how the priest is to be dressed. I mean, God says, do this exactly the way I tell you to do it. Talks about the purple and the, the uh, what's the other color of garment? Uh, scarlet. And then they wove in gold with it, you know. They hammer out this gold and they cut it into strips and they weave it into all the clothing. And and then he wears this breast piece that's got 12 stones, 12 specific stones embedded into the breast piece. And, and uh, everything about him, the turban around the head, God says, I want this guy to be perfectly dressed. And then God prescribes how before he puts on all these garments, you have to wash him. You know, this is all ceremonially because he's the high priest. He represents the whole nation of Israel. He, he oversees the sacrifice, the sin offering, and all these things. And uh, you look at all this, and you're saying to yourself, I bet that priest is a really good guy. He'd have to be, wouldn't he? God's choosing him to represent us. But what did Aaron do? The people, Moses goes up on the mountain and the people says, we're tired of this. We can't wait for Moses any longer and make us a golden calf. Now, Aaron should have been more spiritual than he was, don't you think? Should have told the people, I will have no part of this. But he's the one that tells them, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he fashions a golden calf for them. And then beyond all that, Moses comes back down the mountain. Aaron's caught. And what does he do? He kind of lies about the whole thing and tries to excuse himself. But what I find so fascinating in this whole story is God says, Aaron, I forgive you. Become my high priest. Amazing to me. Just simply amazing. You know, the the forgiveness of God. It's just unbelievable. And on and on throughout the Bible, we come to story after story of people who have been forgiven. And, and as you read through your Bible, you'll come to all of those, those uh, stories. But the question surfaces, do I have to forgive others? God, you do, but do I? Well, we're going to answer that. And we're going to kind of take a strange way of getting there. And we're going to... Start with instruction that Jesus gives us that I think ties into all this. This is important. So point number one, when we answer the question, must I forgive others? Number one, you must get alone with God. Jesus said that. He said, when you pray, go into your prayer room. Close the door and pray to your Father 
who is unseen. See, there is this time for public prayer. There's a time that we gather for prayer in in church here. There's a time that you gather in your Sunday school class. There's a time that you gather with your Bible study group and so on. And all these examples where you're praying as a group, corporate prayer, public prayer. But Jesus is saying, don't ever forget, though, that private time you have with the Lord. Why is that so important? Well, it could be because when we're in public prayer here, as we were praying this morning, some of you might have been thinking, boy, it's kind of hot in here, or it's cold in here. Or you're thinking, I sure smell somebody's perfume. I don't know who it is. Or, or you're thinking, boy, those microphones, why did they do that this morning? All these distractions. Or you've just had a conversation with somebody, and you're still thinking about them, and, and all these distractions come to your mind. And... Uh, and so uh, you get caught up sometimes, too, in public prayer. Are we praying right? And what are we talking about? But private prayer is so different. Private prayer is, is there's nobody else around. You're not worrying about all these things I just mentioned. It's just you and the Lord. And maybe in, in public prayer, we're thinking, okay, we all got to close our eyes and we all got to do this and and the one praying has to say everything just right. But when you're in private prayer, you don't worry about any of that stuff, do you? It's just you and God. And there's, there's no mask you put on. There's nothing you're hiding uh, behind. And, and you know that God sees you for who you are. And His eyes are very penetrating. And He can read you just exactly the way you are. He reads you better than you can read yourself. Prayer is communication, isn't it? Prayer is where I speak to God and God speaks to me, and Jesus modeled that. And we think about as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying with his father. He was alone with his father. And he said to his father, Father, I don't really want to take this cup on. I really don't want to go to the cross. And he must have been looking ahead and thinking all that it would entail, and his father looking on him as as being the sinful one and, and being separated. And he said, Father, I really don't want to do this. He's communicating with his father. But prayer is always a two-way street because he got done speaking. And then he must have heard his father say to him, I know you don't want it, but I want it. And Jesus then responded, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we know that Jesus believed in public prayer because he was there on a number of occasions in public prayer, that he gave a public prayer on a number of occasions. But we also know from the scripture that Jesus every day early in the morning went to be with his father every day. He needed that private time. And we'll get to answering this question of whether we need to forgive others or not. But first of all, let's keep in mind, Jesus tells us, you and I always need the private prayer place every day with the Father. Well, let's go to the second thing that Jesus brings up here. And I put it this way. Number two is don't skip the greatest prayer seminar ever. What am I saying? Well, a lot of us have been to prayer seminars, haven't we? Prayer conferences. A lot of us have been in a Sunday school series on prayer. We've been to Wednesday night series. We've, 
We've gone here and there. We've read books. We've been to some, some really big name people, what they have done on prayer. But don't forget the greatest seminar ever comes right out of this chapter. The greatest conference, the greatest lesson, the greatest series of all, the greatest teacher of all was Jesus. And here's the seminar in, in one paragraph. Yet his whole life also is included. That's why his disciples one day asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. It, it was because they had watched him. They had listened to him. They had, they had covered his life. They had lived with him. And they realized, here is a man that lives prayer. Here is a man that breathes prayer. It's so natural for him. He's so passionate when he prays. He's so intense in his belief in prayer. And his prayers are effective. So it's no wonder one day they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We've been to other seminars and conferences. We want yours. What is it? It's interesting that, that these disciples would have been well aware of the rabbis of the day, the very respected rabbi teachers who who taught on everything, and they would have covered prayer. But somehow they got the idea, I think here's another guy that above everybody else knows what prayer is all about. And so in Luke 1, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they said to him one day, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus made it clear here that it's not a complicated matter. There really are no secrets to prayer. There's no fancy formula. There's no magic involved. It's, it's, it's pretty open. It's not a matter of following a certain formula, saying things in a right way, but it's really a matter of coming to God with the really important matters of life, getting real with Him, always talking to God, but always listening in return, communication a relationship. The greatest prayer seminar ever is right here. It's simple. And we're just going to today carry, cover just a little small part of that seminar. So that gets us to number three, a very important part of the course on prayer. There's two things here, and uh, they are this. The, the greatest part of the Lord's Prayer is followed by the toughest part of the Lord's Prayer. All in one sentence here. Here's the greatest thing of the Lord's Prayer. It's the message that God forgives me. See, Jesus forgave all these people in the Bible that we've mentioned. All of them. And then He forgives you. Forgive us our debts. There's so many words here that are used for, the, for this word debt in the original language. Some Bibles use the word trespasses. Some Bibles use the word sin. Some use resentments, my wrongs. And the original word means all of these things, my debts, my trespasses, my sins, my wrongs, my resentments, all those things I need to be forgiven of is what Jesus was teaching us here to pray. Lord, forgive me of my debts. And God does. And it's a matter of God always forgives us our debts. In all of those stories in the Old Testament, we find forgiveness again and again 
and again. So that's the most beautiful part of the Lord's Prayer. He forgives me my sins. But here comes the toughest part. Follows right on the heels of that. And it's this. And, uh, and that is, Lord, as I forgive those who have trespassed against me, who have sinned against me, who have wronged me, who are indebted to me. And that's what Philip Keller, in his classic book, A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer, says, In all of the Lord's Prayer, by far the most difficult phrase that we must pray is this, as we forgive our debtors. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus never had to pray that. uh, He never had to pray that first part of that sentence, which is, forgive me of my debts. He never had to pray that, did he? Jesus never had sins or shortcomings or trespasses that he had to be forgiven of. But here's what is interesting, and I may shock you when I say this. I think he did have to pray that other part of the prayer quite often. As I forgive those who have trespassed against me. Am I shocking you? Does that seem kind of hard to believe? I think he prayed that prayer quite often. You see, how do I say that? Well, the Bible tells us he was tempted in all the ways that you and I are. And one of the greatest temptations that that comes our way is when we are wronged by others, isn't it? That is the greatest temptation we have to deal with in life, loving people in return, especially when they have wronged us. And so I I have this sneaking suspicion that the Lord almost daily maybe had to pray that prayer, God or Father, help me that I forgive those who who have wronged me. Weren't there plenty of occasions where he was wronged all the time? And uh, you see, for Jesus, he knew that forgiving others is not just an easy, everyday, automatic thing. It's hard. It's costly. Somebody pays a price, and and Jesus paid that price. So probably, I would guess, every day when he got alone with his father, he must have brought up some situations. Father, here's what happened. Father, here's an injustice done to me. Father, here is a wrong done to me. And as he talked to his father about those things, his father would have speak, spoken back to him and every time would have said to him, but I want you to forgive. I want you to release it. I want you to let it go. And he did. And now he teaches us, as I have done, I want you to do. So let's go on to number four. Forgiveness is a gift of God. The Lord on the cross is, is the ultimate act of one giving up their rights for the sake of others. Jesus totally did that, didn't he? As they nailed him to the cross, and as he felt that excruciating pain, as they dropped that cross into the hole that was dug for that piece of wood, he could have said, as he looked out on those people who were mocking him, as in his eyes he would have been thinking about the whole world and everybody and their injustices done to him, he could have said, that's it. I've done enough. I don't want to do any more. This is too tough. He could have called the angels. They would have done that. He had every right to do that. And he could have done that. But what did he do? He chose to forgive, didn't he? He completed the act of dying for us so that every last one of us 
could be forgiven. Every last sin forgiven. But that what happens if I do not forgive others? What if I say, Lord, okay, you did that. That's okay for you. You're the Son of God, but I don't think I want to do that. What happens then? Well, let's look at that. If I do not forgive others, we are told by Jesus that we must be just like him. We must take on his example and forgive others. And he lets us know that if we do not do that, then the whole deal crumbles. That first part of the prayer you prayed, he said, as you pray, forgive me of my debts, he says, forget it. It's done. It's, it's void. It's no good if you don't forgive others. You might as well forget the whole prayer. It's over with. That's kind of a very frightening thought, isn't it? <clears throat> Lord, you mean if I harbor resentment, if I say to you, no, I will not forgive them, you're going to treat me the way I am treating them? A little frightening to think about. And uh, it's so important that we stop and, and we ask the question, what exactly is forgiveness then? If, if someone wrongs me, do I just let them off the hook then? Don't think about it. Don't fuss over it. Don't take it into consideration. Do I just automatically relieve them of their debt? Never expect an apology. Do I just shut my feelings up? An interesting question. I look at it more this way. When someone wrongs you, if you're human, if you have red blood flowing through your veins, if you have a brain up here, then you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. It's going to sting. You're going to process it all through your mind. You're probably going to relive the event, the act, several times. You're going to feel your blood boil over, revisit the event, the words, the act, whatever was done to you because you're human. We're, we're made with an intellect. We're made with a memory. We're made with emotions. God made us that way. But I think that's why God calls us to the prayer closet. He says, I want you and I to deal with this, and we will. You and I alone in prayer. The place where you're not distracted, where others aren't getting your attention so much, where you and I can talk this over and work through it. And when God sees how you've been hurt and how you've been going through it for a while and you feel the sting of it, there will come a point in time when God will come up close to you and you've done your talking the prayer and God's going to say, okay, now it's time. It is time to release it. It is time to, to give up that need that you feel down inside that says, but I've got to get back with them. I've got to even this thing up. I've got to let everybody know about this. I, I have my rights, and I want to assert those rights. But God is saying, I know you have all those feelings, and I know you've been thinking of that over and over in your mind, but now it's time you release it. Turn it to me. It's time for you to quit treating them as if they owe you a huge debt. And it's just time to release them. And in your prayer time, Jesus will speak to you. 
And he will say to you, do you remember when you were so hungry for my forgiveness? Do you remember how you felt? You knew you didn't deserve it, didn't you? You felt that. But I did forgive you. And do you remember how it felt when I forgave you and my love washed over you and your sins were forgiven? Do you, do you realize how you felt when your crimes were forgiven you? He'll say those things to you. And Jesus will say, well, that's how I want you to be with those who have wronged you. Forgive them. With the same spirit I have, I want you to have. Now, why do we not forgive? Really, it's because of this. If you'd picture in your mind a a fortress of some medieval castle, and it's kind of up on a mountain, and it's a huge castle, and kind of up in the highest room of all, there's this this, uh, chair. It's a big, fancy throne. And you're sitting on that chair, and you sit there, and you say, it's my chair, and I deserve it, and this is my fortress, this is my castle, and nobody's going to wrong me here. And uh, you sit up there, and you kind of feel elevated, and you feel defensive, and and, uh, somebody does something against you, and you're not about to come down off your throne and forgive them for that. In fact, you might even order arrows to be shot back, And you'll pull up the drawbridge to your castle and you'll say, I'm not letting anybody in. Nobody's talking me out of this because it's my right to be angry and upset and hold on to my rights. We're like that, aren't we? But you know what? If we do that long enough in time, we pay a price, don't we? We discover that. We cut ourselves off from others. We become self-centered, self-pitying beings. We become haughty and proud. We become quick to find fault, and, and not only with the offender, but now with others too, because we're developing that spirit. We become overly sensitive to any suspicious word or act of another. And what happens? Grace is cut off. It ceases to flow. And God cannot and God will not allow a fresh flow of grace to come into our lives when we have cut it off to others. It's kind of like in order for fresh to come in, something has to go out. And God works with us that way. I brought with me this morning, some of you men will understand this. Some of you won't mean a lot to you, but... I've got an old saw blade in my thing here that's years old because I don't use these kind of saw blades anymore. But there was a time where saw blades did not have carbide teeth and you would cut through tough wood. And uh, if your blade got a little bit dull, it was just the most difficult thing in the world to to push that wood through. And... uh, then it would kind of get, the blade would kind of get hot. And uh, you'd kind of see it start to smoke. And you just, you just could not push the wood through. In fact, you would burn up a motor at times. And this black creosote stuff would kind of start to form on the blade and off the wood. And it, it was just horrible. And the most frustrating thing in the world to try to cut wood when you just couldn't do it. 
You know what that represents? That represents our lives when we cut off grace to others. It just doesn't work. We try. Oh, we grit and we grind and we try to push through life in a non-forgiving mode, but grace is cut off. It doesn't work. The new blades that are carbide and so much more advanced when you begin to cut with them, your wood just zips right through. That's what a grace life is life is like. That's what it's like, you see, when we harbor an unforgiving spirit, we can't push through life. We, we put our life into stall mode. We burn up our spirit. It's costly. Now, you know what? Sometimes a message like this, almost from the very beginning... Somebody here says, yeah, I know. I know God's been speaking to me. I've got someone I just will not forgive. And you know from the very beginning of this sermon, you knew what was happening. And you may be, you're doing one of two things. One thing is you're saying, God, I don't want you to speak to me, but I'm going to listen. Others, very possibly in this congregation, from the get-go you knew, God, I know there's somebody I'm not forgiving, and I will not forgive. That's not good. But here's what's interesting. Others, sometimes God uses a message like this because maybe there's something that's been kind of subtly packed back in a corner here or there, and God brings to our attention, though, through a message like this, there's someone in your life you just have not forgiven, isn't there? There's someone you just have not released. You will not forgive them. Oh, you're not being mean to them, but you just do not want to show grace for anything. And, of course, that's why God calls us to the prayer closet. God has to show us things. And God does begin to show us things and that we need to forgive. And God will show us that there are times when resentment has been stashed away, pushed under something, but never dealt with. You know Gracia Burnham, don't you? Several of you have heard her speak. And I've been able to hear her speak. You know, Gracia and Martin were, were captured by uh, Islamic terrorists in the Philippines and spent over a year in captivity and in harsh conditions, treated so badly. And uh, at the final end of it, she was uh, released, found freedom. Her husband, through crossfire, was shot and killed. We have the utmost respect for Gracia Burnham, don't we? Some of you ladies heard her last fall, I think. Isn't she a marvelous, wonderful Christian lady? I'm reading through her latest book right now. In fact, she has an, a chapter on anger. And in that chapter... She, she's pretty open and honest. She said there were some things that came up that really, really bothered me while we were in captivity. She said, I noticed when they would dibby up the food and all these guys in this group, 
the Abu Sayyaf. When they gave them their food, they got a full cup of rice. But when Martin and I went by to get our cup, they only put about two-thirds of the amount of food in ours. She said, that just irritated me to no end. She said Martin was, you know, his life was wasting away. He was losing pounds. And, and um, uh, but he was chained to Masab whenever they would go places. She's thinking, he's not going to run away. He wouldn't leave me. Why do you have to chain his wrist and watch over him? She said that just irritated me. She said one, once they teased them about Christmas. Oh, I bet you'd love to be home for Christmas, wouldn't you? And they teased them and giggled about it. And she said, you don't know how bad we'd like to be home for Christmas. But the thing that really got her was Martin was already carrying mortar shells and other things for them whenever they would go from place to place. She said he was already carrying about 50 pounds of stuff. And his body is wasting away because of the conditions. And she said one day, Masab came along. He thought he was a spiritual one of them all. And he threw a bag of rice at Martin and said, from now on, you carry this. She got a little angry, a little resentful. You know what that woman said? She said, someday that man is going to burn in hell, and I hope I am there to see him. Wow. Anger. Resentment. Feelings of, I have the right to feel this way. But what happened? God came along, said, Gracia, you have to release him. You have to forgive him. You don't want to cut off the flow of grace to you, do you? No, I don't. You see... Number five is this. Will I serve God the leftovers? What what are we saying here? When you and I do not forgive others, when we go on with resentment in our life, when we say, God, I just will not. This is too bad. I'm so angry. It was so bad and we revisit it and we, we just will not forgive. What we are doing then is we are just giving God the leftovers of our life at best. And God wants it all, doesn't he? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord Jesus, we know that your prayer seminar was not a very long one at all. You taught us the things to pray, the things to think about, the way to live. And the toughest part of your whole prayer that you told us to do is that we need to forgive as you forgave us. We'll have to be very honest with you and say that that is no easy task at all. And it's almost daily that things come up, Father, where somebody seems to wrong us or look at us the wrong way or, or do some really 
bad things. But Lord, we realize that we must release them. We must forgive them. We must find the grace. We must get alone in the prayer closet. We must want to be so much like you, Lord, that we'll be willing to do that. And so, Lord, if there is someone in our lives that we just will not release to you and release them, Lord, you will speak to us right now and that we will do that very thing. Start us off on the right path, in the right direction, with a heart, with a spirit that is willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. Help us to do that. And Lord, if, if it would be so, if you would direct us this very morning or sometime this day to begin to do that, and even go to that person, Lord, and do it, we pray that we would but may we not miss your grace to us. In your name we pray, amen.